Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, we started a series last week as we're talking, of, you know, going through this time of fasting and prayer that we're calling Ask, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about asking God, petitioning God, being more effective in prayer. And a few of the things we started off talking about last week is that God designed prayer to be a powerful way of knowing him, relating to him, hearing his voice, casting our cares on him. We looked at James chapter five, where it says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man, of a righteous woman has great power and produces wonderful results. That prayer is not just some religious formality, going through the motions, jumping through spiritual hoops. God gave us this avenue of approaching him with prayer to tap into his power and apply it to situations that it should produce results in our lives, that we can see things being changed in our circumstances, in our relationship, in our, in our finances, in our health, whatever it is, in our community, that it's producing results. But sometimes people, maybe oftentimes, people don't see those results, and then it just sort of kind of becomes a religious going through the motions. That's not what God wants. So we looked at James chapter 4, and the first few verses, it's talking about asking God, or it's talking about going to God in prayer, and it says that what causes wars and fights and quarreling and strife and even murder among you? He says, you, have, you want things that you don't have and you get frustrated. He says, you have not because you ask not, which is an amazing thing to say, that all of the strife, all of the fighting, all the arguments, that ultimately the problem is there is a lack of people spending time with God and hearing his voice, getting direction from him. It's prayerlessness that causes so many of the problems in our life and in our world. So one of the problems is people just don't pray. They're not making use of this wonderful thing that God has given us where we can approach him in prayer. We said last week, if your prayer life is under attack, that means you are under attack. The, the, the devil does not want people spending time in prayer. Why? Because it has great power and produces wonderful results. He can cut you off from power. He can cut you off from wonderful results just by crowding prayer out of your life. So you might think it's just because you're extra sleepy and you're not a morning person. You might think it's because you're just not good at time management. You might think it's just because you're not, your schedule is too full. But if prayer has been crowded out of your life, see it as a red flag. My prayer life is under attack and I haven't even realized it. The enemy has kind of done a sneak attack and put me in a position where I'm cut off from power and wonderful results and make a determination. I'm going to begin to come to God and make requests. I'm going to ask. I'm going to make use of this privilege of coming to him in prayer. So that's one of the problems is people that don't pray. The next verse in James chapter four says, and when you ask, you don't have because you ask amiss. So there's a problem with people not praying and another problem with people who are praying wrong. There's a proper way to pray. Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 11. Jesus is praying with his disciples, and when he finishes, his disciples say, hey, Jesus, would you, would you teach us how to do that? Would you teach us how to pray like John taught his disciples to pray? They understood. That it wasn't that they were unfamiliar with this idea of prayer. It's that they realized Jesus praying was different than their praying. There was results. There was power. There was authority. It was like he really knew God. Would you teach us to pray? And when they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, Jesus did not respond by saying, you know what? As, 
as long as you're trying, God knows your heart. As long, just as long as you're doing it, it's fine. Just kind of keep on doing it. And as you go, you'll figure things out. Their request for prayer, Jesus was ready with a response, a model prayer. Okay, you want to learn how to pray? Watch this. Pray in this manner. Our Father who art, in, who art in heaven. It wasn't just trial by error or the more you do it, practice makes perfect. Jesus said, that, Jesus demonstrated, if you want to improve in your prayer life, teaching was the solution to, to bring people to a more effective prayer life. Then we looked at Matthew chapter 6, and the account in Matthew chapter 6 where the Lord's Prayer is given, because prior to the Lord's Prayer, there's a little bit more teaching included in Matthew's account. In fact, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. We started looking at Jesus' teaching on prayer there, and before he gets to the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, he gives some instruction that helps helps us examine our hearts before we pray. So before we start praying, we need to examine our hearts. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to be seen by men, love to pray out in the open on the street corners in the public so that people will think that they're super spiritual and religious. He said, they've received their reward. He said, when you pray, go away by yourself, close the door behind you. Your father who, who sees in secret will reward you openly. Last week we said, Jesus was not saying that you can only properly pray alone in a bedroom or a closet. He wasn't saying you're, it's not good to pray out and open because we can see in Jesus' own ministry, he prayed in public places. He prayed in front of other people. So that, that's not the point he was making. The point he was making is you, you need to have a sincere heart that your motives are pure, that you really actually care about connecting with the Father, that you really actually care about the requests that you're making, that you're not just being religious or it's not just some spiritual chore that you're trying to check off the list, that you have a genuine, sincere, pure heart in prayer. Then he said, when you pray, don't be like the heathen who make continuous repetitions. They repeat themselves. They think that they're heard because of their many words. And we said last week, Jesus wasn't saying that it's wrong to repeat yourself. See, in different accounts, different times where Jesus repeated himself in prayer. That wasn't it. Their problem was why they think that they're being heard. That's, that's why they were off. They thought that they would be heard because of their many words. So it's good to be reminded and be clear on why God hears you when you pray. You know, sometimes when we pray, we feel like we've got to, to earn the right to be heard. We examine ourselves. Have I been really good? Have I you know, done things to please the Lord? Is my Bible chart all checked and up to date? We examine ourselves. That puts the focus on us. But what, the reason we're heard is not because you've, you've performed properly. It's because of the grace of God, because Jesus has made a way for us to come to him. We talked last week about knowing it's important when we pray to know what grounds you have a right to make those requests, why you even have the, the opportunity to come to God in the first place. And it's not because you're so good. It's not because you're so eloquent. It's not because you're so likable. It's because he's so wonderful. He's so good. He's so merciful to us. So you've got to know the proper grounds as we approach. Jesus is still dealing with heart issues. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask. So we said last week that when we pray, we're not informing God of our needs. He, he already knows all of them. He respects your will. He doesn't force himself on you, even to the point of salvation. God, God desires that no one would perish, but some people will perish. It's not what he wills. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell, but people will end up in hell. He doesn't force his way in. It's only when people ask, when people ask him to be their savior, that they, they end up in heaven. So in all of our situations, God knows exactly what you need to make that marriage work. God knows exactly what you need to have a breakthrough in your finances. He knows all about it, but he's waiting for you to invite him into the situation and cast your cares on him and give him access. It's one of the things that we do in prayer. So you've turned to Matthew chapter 6.
We'll pick up where we left off last week. Before we do that, let's pray one more time. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your presence. I thank you for each person that's here. And God, I pray that you bless us with eyes to see, bless us with ears to hear, spirit of revelation and understanding so that we can know you more. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and be our teacher. Give us hearts that are like good, broken, fertile soil. Father, your word would take root in our lives. We would apply it and it would bring forth a harvest, 30, 60, 100-fold what's planted. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Jesus is getting ready to give us this model prayer. He doesn't say recite this prayer. He doesn't say this is just something you're supposed to quote. He says in this manner. Use this approach as you, as you pray. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus, he's not praying here. He's, he's teaching as he gives this prayer. So in this prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, there are elements to hold the keys to being more effective in our prayer life. And we won't do this throughout the entire Lord's Prayer as we studied over these next couple weeks, but this morning, I just want to take one word and examine it. It says, our Father, our Father, that that's the approach when we come to God to be effective in prayer, to approach him as our Father. That's, that's how we start to be effective in prayer. And the way that you start things is important. You can get way off track if the beginning part isn't, isn't right. So I just want to take time this morning and talk about how amazing, how wonderful, how important it is that if we want to be effective in prayer, that we come to God as, as our Father. There is Effective prayer starts with approaching God and understanding Him to be your Heavenly Father. It builds faith. It builds confidence. There's all kinds of understanding that comes when you begin to understand God as your father. If you grew up in church like I did, then maybe calling God father has not had a whole lot of real significance. It's just like another name when you're praying to throw out there when you're tired of saying Lord or you're tired of saying God. You just kind of put them in rotation. It's just another of the names. He's God. He's Lord. He's Father. He's you know kind of all of those different things. It's all the same. But to be able to call... God, our Father, was something when Jesus came and starting referring to God as, as his Father, it was revolutionary. The, the, the Jewish people that had served God up until that point were outraged at just the idea of referring to God as their Father. I'll, I'll give you an example from John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there, but it's one of the times that Jesus referred to God as Father. It's, it's the story of when Jesus healed a man who was beside the pool at Bethesda. God raises him up. Jesus raises him up off that mat. But it happened to be the Sabbath day when Jesus healed this man. And so the religious people were very upset. They're angry. They're throwing accusations at Jesus, how he shouldn't have healed on the Sabbath day. And let me just read a couple of verses. John 5, verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now 
and I have been working. Or other translations say, my father's always working and so am I. So Sabbath day, not Sabbath day, the work of God needs to be done. That's how he responds to them saying he shouldn't have healed on the Sabbath day. But listen to this next verse. Verse 18, therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also he said that God was his father making himself equal with God. He broke the Sabbath. That was one thing. We're pretty upset about that. But he called God Father. And for that, we got to kill him. I'm going to kill this guy. He just, did you hear him? He just called God Father. He's got to die. That's how outraged they were. They killed Jesus and they followed through on it, right? They killed Jesus because he dared to talk to God so irreverently, referred to him as as father. See, the Jewish people, they knew God as creator. They knew God as almighty. They knew God as the one, one true God, but they didn't have a concept of the fatherhood of God. And Jesus is teaching that if you want to be effective in prayer, the disciples asked, how do we pray effectively? like you. He said, okay, starting off, here's what you've got to get. He's not just some religious God. He's not just some God on a throne out in heaven somewhere. You've got to know him as your father, to know him as, as father. Let me read to you from Romans chapter eight, verse 15. It says, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, father. So he's teaching about salvation, what happens in someone's life when they accept Jesus, that they receive the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit. He says, you, you didn't receive spirit of bondage, spirit of fear. You received the spirit of adoption by, by whom we cry out, Abba, Abba, Father. So Abba is an Aramaic transliteration of a word for father that's a more, more familiar term more like a dad or a daddy or even a a dada. Just a a place of knowing God, so intimate. So yes, he's father, but he's he's not father in some formal term like a a Catholic priest or something, that there's a real relationship there. That's the way Jesus talked to him. In in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is in the garden crying out to God, he, he calls him Abba, Abba, Father. And the Jewish people were outraged at how disrespectful this was to call God Father, let alone using, using Abba, It's not disrespectful if he really is your Abba Father. When my kids call me Daddy, I don't don't get upset that they're being disrespectful to me. I'd prefer Mr. Brueger, if you don't mind. No, I I want them to call me. I don't don't want them to ever stop calling me Daddy. That it's sweet to me because I I am their dad. So it's appropriate. It's not disrespectful. So the Jewish people thought it was disrespectful, but it's it's a reality. And whenever you acknowledge a reality, it's, it's not disrespectful. That's what truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. To know that God is not just some powerful being out there. He wants you to know him as, as your Abba Father. He says you didn't receive a spirit of bondage or fear. Now, he's talking about salvation. He's not providing an exhaustive list of all the spirits you did not receive when you accepted Jesus. There's, there's lots of spirits you didn't receive when you accepted Jesus, right? You didn't, ex- you didn't accept or receive a spirit of sorcery. You didn't accept a, a spirit of divination or in, infirmity. You didn't receive a spirit of anger. When you, so there's lots of spirits you could have listed. So the ones that he's saying here are intentional. 
He's like juxtaposing, positioning them with this idea of having God as your Abba Father. And he's communicating to us, when you begin to get a grasp on God being not just God, but being Abba Father, when that idea, the spirit of adoption really settles in and gains a hold on your heart, there's other spirits that are naturally driven out. A spirit of bondage, a spirit of fear is displaced when you really begin to know God and receive that spirit of adoption that he is my Abba Father. And a spirit of fear a spirit of bondage and heaviness and anxiety really describes what some people feel when they approach God. And he's saying, when you begin to know him on this aspect, those things are driven out of the way. Some people are so full of worry. I feel like God's judging them. He's angry with them. He's disappointed when they come to him. That's a spirit of fear. It's a spirit of bondage. Maybe you've had this experience. I've had it more than once where I've invited someone to church that I knew wasn't serving God. And they've made references like, uh, you don't want me to come to your church. If I, if I come to your church, the, the, probably the roof will cave in. That's what's going to happen if I come to your church. If I come to your church, probably like I'll get, I'm going to get struck by lightning. If I come to your church, it's probably going to catch on fire and, and, burn, and burn to the ground. And they're kind of being humorous, but really they're, they're expressing this feeling that they know they're not right with God, and all God wants to do is an opportunity to get his hands on them and judge them and punish them and make, it, make something painful and unfortunate. And if it means caving the roof on on the rest of us, then it'd be worth it to God just to, just to smite that one person for being such a, a, a filthy sinner. It's this, this perception that so many people have of God and we might kind of roll our eyes at it, but really that same kind of thing can sneak its way into our relationship that when we go to God in prayer, our understanding of him is just as, as judge, just as creator, just as almighty God. And we lose this sense of intimacy and closeness. And we kind of approach God again because we're, we're trying to be good Christians. And I know I'm supposed to pray. We're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting and I'm going through it. But I approach God with my head down, full of shame. Like I can't really relate to him. Jesus is saying, if you want to be effective in prayer, you've got to approach God. The angle you, you, you come at is knowing him as my Abba, my Abba father. Flip a page over to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Again, Jesus is revealing this, this new way of understanding God, correcting the way that people relate to God. And he's still teaching on it, giving us revelation about this idea of God being our Father. Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. It says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? If you fathers, being evil, if even you guys know how to give good gifts, how much more, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So Jesus is using natural fathers as a baseline or a starting point to understanding God as your heavenly father. That it's like a getting a foothold on beginning to try to wrap your mind around how good God is. He's using earthly fathers as a starting point, which should help us to understand how important the role of a father is. Fathers are important. If you're a dad, or if you ever become a dad, 
you should let verses like this sink in so that you, you take your role as a father very, very seriously. That the way you conduct yourself is going to help your children understand the goodness of God or it will be an obstacle for them to overcome in their understanding of God's goodness. That dads are important. It's a special role. It's a unique role. It's a significant role that, that fathers fill. You can also understand why our culture has attacked fatherhood. Maybe you've never picked up on that, but if you begin to pay attention, you can see that the idea of being a father is under attack. You see it in TV shows all the time. When there's a dad in the TV show, he's, he's the biggest doofus in the family, right? He's the one that never quite understands what's going on. He's an obstacle that has to be overcome. The kids roll their eyes when they talk. The wife can barely put up with him. He's just kind of this bumbling idiot that's a part of the family. He's comedic relief. He's got to be worked around if you ever want to do something successfully. That, that might be funny and something we can laugh at sometimes, but we should also be aware that that is an intentional ploy of the enemy to undermine fatherhood because understanding a good father helps us to understand God as our father. So if the enemy can warp that and erode it and kick, kick the support out from under it, then he has damaged people's proper understanding of how God is. Jesus is explaining God as our father and using you and I, natural fathers, as a starting point. Now, you understand how fathers operate, right? Now, take the goodness of your dad and begin to magnify it to understand God the father. God wants you to know his goodness. Think of all the different aspects Jesus could have emphasized when it comes to, to natural fathers. You know, you know how your dad's punished you, right? You know how bad that was? If you thought that was bad, wait till you get a taste of God. No, he's emphasizing one particular aspect, the goodness of God. You thought it hurt when your dad beat your rear end. Well, I got news for you. Wait till your heavenly father gets a hold of you. That's not what he's saying. He, he's using it to emphasize how good God is. In a group of people like this, there's certainly people whose earthly dad wasn't a help to them in seeing the goodness of their heavenly father. People who, when Jesus begins to use the illustration or the analogy of earthly fathers to understand their heavenly father, that that's no help to them at all. In fact, they'd prefer not to think of God as a father because it's, it's someone who caused heartache and pain, maybe, uh, maybe abuse. And I believe this morning God wants to heal people of wherever the enemy and mistakes of someone who maybe didn't know better or was driven by whatever crazy motives where he, that, that has been damaged and warped. God wants to bring healing to people. We'll pray for that in just a few minutes. But if that's you, I believe God wants to heal that so it's not, not an obstacle that that wound can be healed and you can begin to understand the goodness, the goodness of God. If you fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more so does your heavenly father? So even those who have been hurt by their fathers, they've got a gap to understand God and his goodness. Even those of us like myself who have great fathers, we still have some room to reach to understand God. Even you fathers that are good, how much more so? So all of us have a gap to grow in our understanding of the goodness of God. And he says, how much more so will he give good gifts to those to those who do what? To those who ask, to those who, who pray, to those who come to him in prayer. Let me read it again. Verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
So good is the standard of what God wants to do in your life. And Jesus is correcting. The reason he's teaching this is he's correcting people's perception of the way that God operates. Because back then when he's teaching it, and even in people's lives today, people give God credit for the negative things that happen, the bad stuff that happens in people's life. You hear it all the time. People's life can be going along good. Everything's running smooth. And they think that that's just life. That's just the way things go. But then when something devastating happens, then they wonder, why did God do that? That he only gets, quote unquote, credit for the negative things that happen in, in their life. And all the good stuff, well, that's just, that's just, I guess, a credit to them. I heard just yesterday a story of a person whose mother got brain cancer and passed away. And this person was giving credit to God. I guess I just need to be thankful that God gave my mother brain cancer because if she didn't die that way, uh, I guess he was sparing her from maybe even a more tragic, a more tragic death. And so he, he gave her brain cancer. If God wants to spare someone from a tragic death, he's got better ways to do it than to, to fill their body with cancer. Amen. That, that's not a blessing from God. That, the Bible tells us that that's the work of, of the devil. So Jesus is, is giving us the standard of what God wants to put in your life. He, how much more so does your father want to give good, give good gifts? That's the standard. That's the filter that things have to run through. For God to want it to be in your life, it needs to be good and much better than even what your earthly fathers can accomplish. And why, why are we talking about this? Because Jesus said, if you want to be effective in prayer, when you go to God in prayer, you've got to approach him from this lens, from this position, from this relationship and understanding he is, he's not just God, he's my father and he wants good things in my life. In the book of James, it says every good and perfect gift comes down from our father in heaven. So, so not, you know, even the things that we ask for, not everything makes it through that filter. Then say, I'm giving you just, you know, whatever you ask for. I'm giving you good things, good things. Have you ever prayed for something and then later on been relieved that God didn't answer your prayer? I'm assuming all that you just agreed you were praying for a spouse and then later on you're glad that you didn't end up marrying that person, right? God, please let her be my wife. Please let her, then later on, thank you, God. I dodged the bullet. I'm so thankful she's not, she's not my wife. Thank you. Right, there's lots of times you'll be praying for something and it says, your father, your father in heaven, right? In heaven, it's, that's, that's part of it. Every word of the Lord's prayer has significance. Our father who art in heaven, he's got a different perspective than you and I do. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. I might think something is good from my limited perspective, but he sees, no, there's something better for you, and he wants to give me what is best, what is good. How much more so will your father give you good, give good gifts? I'm supposed to approach him. We're supposed to approach him from the understanding that he is, he is my, my father. God doesn't want us approaching, thinking of him as just mighty warrior, man of battle. Those are all true aspects of who he is. Or think of him as angry. He's the, the righteous judge, all those things. Those might be parts of who he are, and we can acknowledge those at certain times, and we should acknowledge those different aspects of who he is. But if I want to be effective in prayer, the starting point needs to be he's my Abba, he's my Abba father. Just like if I was a doctor, a lawyer, a baker, a business owner, or any other role I might fill. My kids, I'd want them to know that about me. I'd want them to appreciate those different traits about me. But that's not how I want them to relate to me. I want them to first know me as, as father, as father. And then they can appreciate all those other things. 
God wants you to know him as, as father. We've talked about this before. The Bible is filled with revelation about who God is, even different names, ways that we can, we can call on the name of the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, our, our healer, all these different things, and we should know them, we should use them, but our approach is first our, our father. Just like you and I both have multiple different roles. There's different roles that you fulfill. My wife has a bunch of different roles. She's a wife, she's a mom, she's a teacher, she's a coach, she's a friend, she's a daughter. And just like God, when you use a certain name, you're putting a draw on a certain aspect of someone's, someone's character. That my, my wife can be called coach, and when someone calls her coach, they're putting a draw on her understanding and experience when it comes to volleyball. When she walks down the hallway at school and someone calls her Mrs. Brueger, they're putting a draw on, they're calling that aspect of who she is as a teacher, her understanding of mathematics. She can walk down the same hallway, have someone refer to her as Mrs. Brueger and know I'm responding as a teacher. Then someone can call her Beth and know I'm responding as a friend. And then one of my daughters can call her mommy and it's pulling a completely different aspect of who she is. With my kids, people can call me Mr. Brueger, pastor. When they call me daddy, it's a totally different aspect. I'm responding. It does something to a heart. And he's saying, when I go to him, we can acknowledge all those different aspects. But first and foremost, is he the creator? Is he almighty God? Is he all those things? Yes, but first and foremost, he is my father. Jesus is teaching. If you want to pray like he prays, if you want to be effective like he's effective, here's how you do it. First and foremost, father, my father. I'm coming to you. I'm, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. You are my father. You talk about father, Jesus is emphasizing relationship. That there's relate, he's not just God out there somewhere. You've got a personal relationship. He's not, he's not uncle, he's not great great grandfather. You have a direct link. He's not second cousin twice removed. He is father, directly connected. You've got direct access to God. He is your, your father. Now, God will use other people to help us grow in relationship with him. He'll use teachers and pastors and evangelists and mentors and friends and different members of, of the church body all to help you, but you don't have to go through them. They're just helping you draw closer to your heavenly father. You have direct access to the father. When you think about a father's love, my, I will never stop loving my kids. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what they do. That doesn't mean anything goes, that there's still standards, but there's nothing that they'll ever do that'll cause me to say, I'm, I'm done with you. I don't love you anymore. Right? There's never anything that I would want them to try to get away from me instead of coming towards me. And again, Jesus is correcting the perception people had of God then and setting up a ground for us to understand the way God wants to relate to us. He doesn't want people that run from him, that run to him. The Old Testament has stories of people they understood God as creator, understood God as the one true and living God like, like Adam and Eve and Jonah. People that when they were in trouble, they ran from God instead of towards God because they understood him as God, but they didn't have this aspect of a relationship, the fatherhood, the fatherhood of God. That even when I'm in trouble, even when I've made mistakes, even when I've blown things, I don't have to avoid him. That, that's when I need to run to him. When a father sees a child make a mistake, he's not looking to, to, to scold him and just drive him further. Further, his job is to help him overcome the mistake and keep on going. A father's role is to make sure that that mistake doesn't take them out to help make up for shortcomings, strengthen them and teach them and mentor them to be successful the next time. That's a good earthly father. How much more so your father in heaven? You know, I was blessed. I am blessed with a good dad. When I made mistakes and I made lots and lots of mistakes, 
I knew I could run to my dad and not from my dad. I'll share, share one experience with you. When I was in college, after my second year, it was my, my second freshman year, I decided I was going to try to stay in, in Springfield, Missouri, which was far away from where, where I grew up. And I was going to try to stay there. I didn't have money. I was just you know, determined I'm going to stay for the entire summer here in, in Springfield for a couple of different reasons. I was working a couple of jobs. I was trying to purchase a car. I didn't have an apartment. So I was living in the car that I was trying to purchase. So I was actually living in someone else's vehicle. And when we were in college, we would sometimes make money by going to this place called Biokinetics, where you'd go and let them test medications on you. And so that that's, was kind of my side job in uh, in college, which maybe explains a few things. But we, we'd let them test different medicines on us and you, you'd spend like you know, four weekends in a row and they'd do things to you. But over the summer, there was a longer study where you know, I could only do weekends in school. There were some studies that would go a month or, or 60 days. And so now it's summertime. I thought I'm gonna get money to get an apartment. I'm gonna get money to purchase this car. I was kind of banking on getting into this, this one study at Biokinetics. So I, you go and you do tests to be eligible and I didn't make it into the study. And full disclosure, one of the reasons was I, I failed the drug screening to get into this test. So I, w- I, was, in a, I was in a bad spot. I'm, I'm living out of a car that now I'm not going to be able to purchase. I'm, I'm going to be like legitimately homeless. I'm, I'm far away from home. I, I'm, I'm in a mess. And I made the mess myself. And so what am I going to do? I, I don't know what to do. I call my dad, who's working a full-time job. You know what my dad says? I'll be there to pick you up tomorrow. 14-hour drive, 14-hour drive, pick me up, load up my stuff, 14-hour drive, be back at work the next day. That, that, that's a good father. That when you mess things up, God, Dad, I, I blew it. I messed up. I, did some, I made some stupid choices. I made a mess here. That he comes, doesn't just tell me what a fool I am, how disappointed, comes and helps get me, lifts me out of that and helps put me on the way that I, that I should go. That's what a good, good earthly dad would do. How much more so your father in heaven? That he doesn't want it when you come to him in prayer, feeling like God, the last thing God wants is to hear from you. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. I mean, it, it matters. We want to come to him and ask for forgiveness, but there's no point where God wants to keep you, uh, keep you away. Have you ever wanted to go to God in prayer? You wanted to spend time, man, I just wish I could enjoy the presence of God. I just wish I could be close to him, but you know you did something stupid. You know you did something selfish. You, you know you gave into that temptation, so you feel like you've got to stay away from God. That, that's religion. That's the enemy. That's not the heart of the Father. Jesus was coming to correct the perception that God wants to push people away from. God wants to draw people close to himself. Jesus was correcting that misconception, revealing what the father was really like. God doesn't want to wipe people out. He's not looking to destroy people. His heart is to save people and to rescue them. The only people. Jesus was a picture of the father. Jesus wasn't just coming to show you what he was like. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen what? I'm coming to let you know what your father is really like. So when we watch the life of Jesus. We're not just seeing what Jesus is like. We're seeing what the father is like. And the only person Jesus was ever harsh with was the religious people that were rejecting the revelation of what Jesus came to bring. The story of the prodigal son, one of my absolute favorite stories, a story. Jesus is revealing what? the heart of the father. He's talking about what a father is like. And he tells a story of the son who basically does everything possible to disrespect hurt and dishonor his dad. 
Just give me your inheritance now. You're basically dead to me. I just want to go. I just want, I just want to be out of here. I just want to go do my own thing. And the father says, okay, gives him the freedom. He respects, respects the will. Son goes away, blows the money, wild living, parties, drinking, women, the whole thing, ends up in a bad spot. And he says, maybe if I go back, eventually after eating pig slop and all that, you guys know the story. Eventually he says, maybe if I go back, I can at least be, I, I know, I'm done being a son, I know that much, but maybe I could be a servant. And when he comes back, how does the father respond? You filthy piece of trash. I can't believe you'd show your face he runs, it's a story of the father embracing the son, restoring the son, even sell, he literally throws a party to celebrate right relationship being restored. That's the heart of the father. And it wasn't just a story Jesus told. That's what he came and demonstrated over and over and over again. As you read through the gospels, the way that he related to people, showing the heart of the father. Jesus was demonstrating the father's heart. When people were bringing children and the disciples said, no, keep, keep, would you keep those kids away? Because people had an understanding. Jesus is so important. He's so holy. He's so righteous that you've got to keep people away. Jesus said, no, no, you've got it all wrong. You've got to bring people. I want them close. Let the little children come to me. When Jesus encountered the woman at the well, remember the story, the woman at the well who, who had had five previous husbands and now she's shacked up with some guy that's not even, even her husband, that Jesus could have responded a number of ways, but he's revealing what the father is like. He doesn't say, you filthy whore, you disgusting. I mean, you were just so, he, what's he, he restores her. He brings her into right relationship with such love that she's running back to town and saying, you've got, you've got to meet the one that I just met. You've got to come and know Jesus for yourself. She becomes an evangelist for him because she was touched by that mercy and that kindness, not by scorn and shame. Zacchaeus, that, that tax collector, the short little guy that climbed up in the tree, who'd sold himself out to the, Roman, the Romans who were oppressing the Jewish people, that Jesus is traveling through town. He's got a crowd of people with him on his way to do something important, probably a huge meeting. Spots Zacchaeus up in the tree. People hated the guy. It's the heart of the father. He doesn't roll his eyes at him and keep on going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything else can wait. He wants to be close. He's climbed a tree to see me. You've got to know the heart of the father. I, Zacchaeus, I just want you to know something. I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time. I'm, I'm coming to your house. I'm sitting down. We're having lunch. That's the heart. That's the heart of the father. That's the heart of the father. And Jesus, the reason we're talking about this, why? You want to be effective in prayer? Here's how you have to know God. Here's how you have to understand him. What faith, what confidence, what joy when I can approach God, not just as some mighty being, my Abba, my father, my dad, one cares about me, loves me. That's part of being a dad. Being a father doesn't just have to do with creation because there's, there's lots of men who have kids, but they're not really fathers because it's not just creation. It's not just that God created you. That's not what makes him a father. Being a father, even in earthly, natural terms, you want to be a father, there's provision. You provide for your kids. You care for your children. You love your children. You discipline your children. You mentor your children. You train your children. You guide your children. That's part of being a natural father. How much more so? He's not your father just because he initiated you. Because he wants to provide for you and care for you, love you, guide you, direct you. you got to know his nature. Part of being a father is being a giver. And back to Matthew 7, 11. How much, you, you want to give good gifts to your kids? How much more so? If you're a dad here, I know you can relate. 
I spend lots of time thinking about things I can do for my kids, even stuff I can't do. I dream about doing for my kids. I'm trying to do stuff for my kids. One of my daughters has mentioned wanting to go to Maine. This week, I'm, I'm Googling airline tickets. How much does it cost to get? I don't even know what she wants to do there. So I'm even Googling things to do in Maine. I, I don't, I, 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 but my heart, I want to, is that what she wants? I want to, because I'm a dad, right? That's the heart I want to give. I want to provide. You have something you want to see happen. I'm going to try to figure out a way. I don't even know why you want to do it, but you want to do it. I'm going to try to figure out a, a way to make you do it. God is a giver and he wants to bless you with good things. And if I can approach him with that, of all the angles Jesus could have said, when you come to him, just begin to say, oh, creator God, oh, he, all, he says, father, father. That, that's the avenue of effective prayer. And Jesus was correcting. His whole life was first correcting misconceptions, revealing what the Father was like, and then making a way for you and I to know him as Father. I don't know if you've ever been misunderstood before, ever had a situation where people just had the wrong idea about you. But it's frustrating, right? When people think things about you, it's, it's just not true. No, you, that, was, that was just a rumor. That's not who I am. A while back, I was on a, a social media site and I made what I thought was a joke. I wrote something. I thought I was being humorous. It turns out I wasn't. And there was this backlash of people that were, I mean, my inbox was filled. All these people I don't know telling me what a terrible, wicked, I mean, dog cussing me, I mean, Christians, I mean, using terrible language to tell me what a terrible Christian I was. People were saying, you're everything wrong with the church and Christianity today. Your family must be ashamed. People were contacting my wife, just letting know what, what, what a terrible person I was. They looked at my site, saw that I'm a pastor. I mean, just all kinds, all kinds of stuff. Now, in retrospect, I probably shouldn't have tried to make the joke. I feel like the only criticism I, I was worthy of was, you're just not funny. It was, it, you make bad jokes. I would accept that. All these other things, they're just kind of jumping to conclusions. And it's frustrating when people have the wrong idea about you, right? Maybe, I'm, okay, I'm not good at making jokes. I'm not funny, but I'm not, I'm not completely wicked. I'm not some evil being. I'm not everything that's wrong with the church today, right? It's frustrating when you don't know me. You know, I'm, I'm actually kind of a nice guy. You might, you might actually enjoy spending time with me, but you've got this idea that I'm just like the devil incarnate. It, it's a wrong perception. And when people have the wrong idea about you, it's very frustrating. So Jesus came to help clarify and alleviate, alleviate the father's frustrations of people having the wrong idea about who he is and to correct our perception to know him, not just as power, not just as might, not just as creator. We need to know all those aspects, but first and foremost, know him. He wants to be your father. He wants to be your father. And if we're going to be effective in prayer, so we begin to study, study prayer over these next couple of weeks, the approach first and foremost, my father, my father, he's your father. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.